Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in B.C. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We've got a terrific Thursday morning show for you today, including police warning the public about gangs recruiting kids in schools. Now, this comes from the Victoria police chief. This is the same district where they removed police liaison officers from the schools there. Man, that sure looks like a mistake now, doesn't it? we got the latest on that for you today. Also today, this absolutely heartbreaking case of this 23-year-old woman who died from an untreated infection. She tried to see a doctor. She tried to get into a walk-in clinic. She could not get in. Her family says the infection was misdiagnosed at a hospital emergency room. She's finally airlifted to St. Paul's. She passed away. I will speak to a representative of this family today. Uh, no family doctor there. They are really concerned this could happen to other families here in BC. So we've got all that. We got lots more. We start though with the housing crisis, especially the sky high rents here in British Columbia, the low vacancy rates too. I'll tell you what, if you've got a place now, if you're a renter, and you've got a place now that you like and you can afford, man, you got to hang on for dear life to that place. You do not want to get evicted here in this rental market because man the rents out there are so sky high right now lots of landlords critics say lots of landlords and they would like to look for to evict a tenant so they can hike the rent for a new tenant right yeah we hear about that a lot got david hendry standing by to discuss have a listen first here is robert patterson on an earlier show He's a tenant, he's a tenant advocate lawyer saying that, yeah, this, we're seeing more and more evictions here. Have a listen. It has never been easier to evict a tenant and never have this many tenants been evicted. Uh, we're leading the country in this. The last thing we need to do is make it easier and faster to evict tenants when they're already losing their homes at a rate double the national average. Okay. Now, on the other side of it, the landlords will tell you that it's not that easy to evict a bad tenant here. But let's discuss this now with my guest, David Hendry. David is with the New Westminster Tenants Union. Very pleased to welcome him. David, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Okay, David, let's talk about these. Uh, what, what's known as a no-fault eviction, a no-fault eviction. What is that? What is a no-fault eviction? Correct. So, uh you know, most people are kind of familiar with uh, evictions due to not paying rent on time or uh, insufficient pay, but that really only covers about 5% of evictions. 85% of evictions in British Columbia are due to no-fault evictions, where it is uh, either through selling of the home or uh, the landlord wanting a caretaker suite or the landlord wanting a family member to move into the, into the unit. Yeah, so these are the... Uh, just taking a look at the tenancy laws here yeah those are the some of the reasons that a landlord could evict a tenant 
landlord wants to move in, use the property, or an immediate family member, right? Like a kid? Correct. Uh, a parent or a child yeah. uh, is the direct family member. Yeah. yeah, so they could move in, and then you could legally evict a tenant in those cases. What about a renovation? Yes, and that's another case as well. However, the, uh, the number of renovations have decreased um, due to the change in the government laws in 2021, where they now have to apply, the landlord now has to apply to the RTB for renovation. Um, however, it's a pretty high bar for evidence in that case. The landlord would have to show the intent to go through with the uh, renovation sufficient enough that the person has to vacate. Now, our concern um, is that, you know, this is the, the, the kind of major policy recommendation that's being put forward right now uh, to have landlords apply to the RTB for uh, caretaker or family member use. However, in our experience of working with bad faith landlords, we don't believe that this would be sufficient to uh, to deter this kind of activity. Okay, so a bad, okay, it's interesting what you called it there, a bad faith eviction. So you're saying what, that some landlords might say, they might go to a tenant and say, hey, uh, my mother has to move in here or my son or daughter has to move in here, so I've got to kick you out. I have to evict you. I'm sorry about that. But you're saying that sometimes what, landlords, what, they're just trying to look for a loophole to get rid of the tenant so they can jack up the rent for another tenant? Is that what you're suggesting? Correct. So in, in New Westminster, where I work, you know, as a, as, a, as a tenant organizer, we see a number of, of long-term tenants who have been dutifully paying their rent for years on time. And because of that, they might be paying 1000 or $1,100 per month, whereas the market currently is somewhere around 2200 for a one-bedroom suite. And so there's tremendous financial incentive for a landlord to find ways to evict people, and yeah. we don't think that the government should be assisting in this in this process in, okay, the, so let, in the middle of the crisis. Okay, I, I can certainly see how there may, might be a temptation for a landlord to do that. I, I think that there has to be some reasonable rules for landlords to, to reasonably remove someone, though, if they have legitimate family use that they want to use for, this, for the suite, though, right? So we, we, uh, we are in agreement with... Um, First United's recommendations about um, about having to apply to the RTB in 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 some cases, especially if there's you know a person has a, a, a basement unit in their house or something like that. We think that's pretty reasonable. However, for uh, apartment buildings where they have you know two or more suites, um, we we do think that those those uses really shouldn't be uh, in place uh, uh, for, for large buildings. You know, the, the vacancy rate uh, is low. However, yeah. turnover is still about 10% per year. So even for a smaller building, there's going to be at least one or two units that will come up. And we think that uh, landlords should have to wait for a natural market turnover in order for a caretaker uh, to, be, to be placed. Okay, let's, let's talk, let's talk you know. about that. Let's get into the details of this. My guest is David sure. Hendry, New Westminster Tenants Union here. And do tenants need more protection from bad faith evictions here? Um, so let's talk about that. So you're saying that if a landlord owns multiple units, 
they should not be allowed to kick up more. But tell me how it worked. What would you like the change you would like to see? Yeah. So the specific recommendation, and it's a, it's an additional recommendation that we're that we're suggesting, is that uh, you know fairly simply for for landlords who own more than two or more units within a building, that the caretaker and the family use provisions would not be able to be used. And we think that uh, there's enough uh, units that are being turned over that they should be, uh, they should have to wait for those units to be uh, made available and that people shouldn't be evicted because what we're seeing is, uh, you know, we're seeing this really used as a cudgel over people's heads uh, that, uh, you know, seniors, people who have, stayed in the building for a long time, people who are uh, uh, low-income, fixed-income pensioners are the ones that are threatened the most. And it's also, uh, you know, we're seeing also a lot of uh, illegal uh, rent increases where this these provisions are actually being used as a threat, and then yeah. tenants are being forced, you know, compelled to actually pay an illegal $100 or $200 increase. Okay. Okay, so you're saying that this would apply for landlords that own multiple units, so two or more, if they're renting out two or more suites, right? That's our proposal. Yeah, they would not be able. They would not be able to use. They would not be able to use this family use eviction. What I mean, like, what if they've legitimately got uh, an elderly parent or son or daughter that needs to use the place? Isn't that like what? That doesn't seem fair so, to them. So what we're seeing is, uh, you know, family use being used in, uh, for instance, uh, a landlord who owns eight or ten buildings. Mm-hmm. And that landlord who probably owns a home and probably <laughs> several homes uh, is saying that they need to place their elderly parent in an apartment building that they own. It's pretty suspicious to me, and there is a lot of this kind of malicious use. So, in that case, it it doesn't doesn't really pass the smell test to me. You know, okay. in 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 homes, in yep. single family homes where there might be a a basement unit, you know, I think that's something where the the landlord should have to apply for that eviction, and then they can determine whether uh, that eviction is being used properly or not. Okay, David, it's an interesting idea. Thank you for coming on to talk about it today. Okay, great. Thank you. Let's talk about police warning parents and teachers about gang members recruiting kids in schools. Now, this comes from Victoria Police Chief Del Manic. He says gang members actively recruiting kids near schools and even on school properties. We're going to get into this. Kids are being lured with the promise of money for selling illegal vaping products. That's one of the methods that gangs will use. Being asked to sell stolen property like clothing that's been stolen and they get sucked into the gang lifestyle. I got Doug Spencer standing by to discuss 30 years with the VPD. Let's have a listen to the Victoria Police Chief first here. This is Del Manic. We're seeing known gang members, uh, gang members that are known to be connected to lower mainland gangs who are actively recruiting uh, many of our youth and they're going right into the school. 
Okay, that is the Victoria Police Chief Del Manic speaking this week. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Doug Spencer, former gang unit police officer. Doug was 30 years of the VPD. He now works to keep kids out of gangs through Odd Squad Productions. Hey, Doug, thanks for coming on today. You're more than welcome, Mike. Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think what the Victoria Police Chief had to say there? Gangs recruiting kids in schools. We've heard this before there, but it sounds like it's on the rise. Yeah, Chief Dell and the members of the school officers, uh, they're trying to keep the kids safe. Simple, yeah. right? It, it's, he doesn't gain anything by putting officers back in schools. He actually loses manpower. So his motivation is the kids like all of us, right? And it, it sounds like history is repeating itself over there, right? Back in um, 1997, 98, we got a new chief that came from back east, Bruce Chambers. And uh, BPD, he got, the first thing he did, a budgetary thing, he got rid of the school officers. Well, mm. the membership was just floored that that happened. And um, sure enough, over the, from 99 to about 2003, there was 50 young South Asian guys murdered in gangs, 30 of which were ex-Vancouver students, the students that were at the schools with no officers. So, like, the the kickback from that decision basically cost the lives of 30 young men. Yeah, and this is, and we take a look at the situation in Victoria. Yeah, like you said, history repeating. This, uh, the local school district there voted to remove police liaison officers from Victoria's schools. Now we see this gang activity happening in the schools, the chief issuing the warning about it. And by the way, it's not just the police chief who is sounding the alarm on this. We've got youth counselors, youth advocates in Victoria saying the same thing. Let's listen here, Doug, to Mia Golden. She counsels troubled youth in Victoria saying like, hey, you know what's going on? These gangs are getting more aggressive here with kids. Let's listen. We've seen quite an aggressive uh, shift in in uh, gang recruitment. In the past, we were seeing youth that um, were quite vulnerable, street entrenched, uh, drug addicted, um, being approached by uh, gang members. Now we're seeing uh, uh, students and youth who are in schools, including in middle schools. Including in middle schools, too, she said there. So even younger kids, maybe than we realize, being targeted by gangs. Doug, you've been in this, you've been on this file for a long, long time. Um, what kind of methods do these gangsters use uh, when they try to attract kids into the into gangs like this? What do they do? What's their modus operandi? Yeah, they uh, they'll front them drugs or give them drugs for free. Um, they'll beat them up in some cases intimidate them, uh, shoot up their house. They'll do whatever they have to do to get that person on board, right? And uh, when we, when they ended the uh, VPD one back in 1998-ish, uh, I, I was in the gang unit. We had to go in and monitor all those schools because they were running rampant with violence and stuff. Now that the little thugs knew the police weren't around, the, uh, my caseload went from three or four cases a month at schools to over 30. And we're talking serious, violent uh, offenses, extortions, all sorts of stuff where if you don't stay on the ball, you could lose a life, right? So 
we were stopping kids and one time in front of David Thompson, kid had a loaded 45 in his car. He's trying to recruit kids. He's really lucky I didn't shoot him actually because he went to put the gun under the seat. And, you know, if I thought he was reaching for it, I would have shot him. So, like, it's just totally, totally puts these kids at risk, right? Um, Everybody, the teachers, I don't know what the, and the, some of the school boards, what the they don't want the police in there is about. The SLOs are not there to arrest people. They're there to be a resource for the staff. And it was well, very apparent to me in the day, Yeah. whatever principal was on board with the school officer, we wouldn't go to that school. There was no issues. It's the schools that weren't in the program and didn't get what's going on, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, the explanation for removing police officers from the schools in Victoria, the police liaison officer program, are the same reasons that uh, were advanced in Vancouver when police were removed from Vancouver schools briefly. And then we have a new school board that put them back in, which I think was the right, the right move. But the explanation was that the presence of police officers in the school could cause... Uh, anxiety and fear among students who may have had negative interactions with the police in the past, particularly for black or indigenous students, and that the presence of police officers would make these students feel scared or uncomfortable or anxious around these police officers. That That's why they did it. What do you think of that? Yeah, no, I understand that some of the BIPOC kids, um, the Vancouver one was the police arrested the father. For assaulting the mom so sure he's anxious but it's like you know that's what a half a dozen kids you sit yeah. down with each kid because you certainly don't throw that kid under the the bus you you talk to him you sit down with the parents the police the, everybody that and make them understand the police are there to protect them they're not there to arrest them right um yeah, yeah it, it just boggles my mind where they get this from I actually, in the VSB meeting in Vancouver, one of the uh, uh, school board people at the time said the Vancouver police were like the KKK. Mm. And and I was just like, what in this? <laughs> That's how mm. far out they are. It, it's just some of these people have no concept of reality, right? Talking about gangs recruiting kids in schools, that is the warning from the Victoria police chief. Now, don't forget, Victoria is one of the districts that removed school liaison police officers from schools in Victoria. Now look what's going on. The police chief in Victoria saying this is what happens, this is what you get, and he wants those police officers put back in the schools. My guest is Doug Spencer, 30 years with the uh, Vancouver Police Department. Phone me on this now, especially if you've had experience with the school liaison officer program, maybe when you were in school or your kids are in school, 604-280-9898 is the number to call, star 9898, toll free on your cell, Gary in Surrey. Hi, Gary, go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I'm a former teacher in Surrey. I taught for 35 some odd years. I taught socials 11, uh, law 12, history 12. I always brought a liaison here in Surrey, well, when we had them, I think we still do. I always brought one in for each and every class, once or twice a year, our liaison guy. And uh, he or she 
um, they were excellent. You know, they, mm. they told the kids uh, the difference between the reality of uh, police, reality of policing, what's going on out there, as opposed to movies and television. Um, and the kids, I always impressed upon them to ask questions. We, we got lots of questions. I thought they did, they did a great job and showed the human side of them and what they're doing. And Vancouver's, uh, oh, geez, Vancouver's rationale for getting rid of them. Some people might be hurt or offended or scared. Well, all that does is teach kids that they're the enemy in some sort of way, that you should fear them. You should not fear the police. It's only what? And your your guests would, I'm sure, say it. It's only about point zero 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 one bad police officers in North America. You hear about them all the time, but you don't hear about the really good ones. The liaison program, to me, was excellent. And uh, I just shook my head at what Vancouver did. That's yeah, thank, thank, thank you, Gary. Of course, we got a new school board in place there now that reversed that decision from the previous board. And, uh, uh, Doug, what do you think about what he had to say? Yeah, we totally appreciate uh, men and women teachers like Gary. When you get the support and the teamwork together, it's all about keeping the kids safe and stuff, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it just kind of blows me away, if that the attitude. Um, you know, we had a kid years ago, Fubong Pomabasat, he, he shot a guy at uh, in the leg at Gladstone, right? Yeah. That kid, we arrested him, found the gun. He was shot and hung up in a tree burning in oh. Richmond in 2002, like... When you get embedded with these guys, and that's what the kids don't understand. So, like, I've had uh, Sergeant Brown from Victoria and some of their members reached out to me to come and talk at the schools, as have since this story with Dell broke. uh, Business people have reached out to me on social media. They want to sponsor me to come over and talk to the kids. The school boards and the schools and teachers will not allow the police over there to go talk to the kids about the reality of substance abuse and gangs. So how do you yeah, I thought the kids to make a good decision? Yeah, and I thought the caller also raised a good point about, okay, if you're saying that there are the reason for removing the police officers is because some students are scared of police officers or nervous or anxious around them, uh, I don't think you're going to do anything to sort of break down those barriers or misunderstandings or whatever by kicking <laughs> kicking police officers out of the schools. Maybe that just makes the makes the barriers even higher. You think? Yeah, no, certainly. And yeah. and I'll tell you a story. I did a talk at an alt school in Vancouver, and this young South Asian man was in the back of the the presentation. He came up to me, says, "Man." I wish I had that talk years ago with my friends. And I says, what do you mean? He says, uh, I was getting in trouble in gangs, and the school officer, David Thompson, uh, Rick, um, took me under his wing and got me playing soccer. And all of a sudden, my life started changing. He says, out of me and my four friends back then, I'm the only one that's still alive. Wow. Wow. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Talking about police officers in schools, a school liaison officer, the chief of the Victoria Police Department warning teachers and parents, gangs are recruiting kids in schools in Victoria. 604-280-9898. Star 9898 on your cell. Rick in Port Moody. Hi, Rick. Go ahead. 
Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. I don't know how this can be a surprise to anyone. Um, you know, you just need to look at how uh, the whole world is evolving when they've, when they've gotten rid of the police, you know, down south. Um, you're, uh, you're the, the guest you had yesterday in Nanaimo. Uh, um, you could have seen this coming a mile away when these decisions were made. Um, thank God Vancouver has pulled them back, but uh, this is no surprise. It's um, uh, I'd just like you to maybe bring a guest on that wanted this to happen and hold their feet to the fire for what, what's happening because this is part of their fault. And part of our issue is we don't hold people responsible for some of their actions. I'd like to see that for a change. Thank, thank you, Rick, for the call. I mean, when you look back at those years, uh, Doug, that you talked about where police officers were removed from schools. Can you remind me what year did that happen and when did you see that rise in gang activity as a result? Yeah, it was when uh, Chief Chambers came in. So 97 to 99, um, Mm. he was here about a year and then he pulled the string and pulled the officers out. And then, like I say, 1999 to 2003, that's also the Bindi Joe Hall era, right? Oh, Uh, He got killed in 1998, Bindi. So, you know, it, it opened up the the gang life to all those young South Asian kids that yeah. saw Bindi as the hero because they were seeing him on the news every night, right? Just negative, negative role model. Yeah, yeah and you could see it coming. Like, did you warn them or do other officers say, like, whoa, 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 don't do this? Uh, I'll tell you, I was doing so many talks. Adam Dollywall, my old partner, and I, and Elvis Bellia, we were going from school to school to school because we were like uh, firemen trying to put out a fire with no water. It, mm. it was just almost impossible to make sure every kid gets the message, right? Because kids, as you know, are very naive and they're very, it'll never happen to me, right? But, you know, now kids in high school, they're the fentanyl crisis. They're, mm. they're popping pills and splitting pills and overdosing to death. Somebody has to talk to kids about that stuff, right? Yeah, I agree with I agree with you, Doug. Doug, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, I'd just like to say reach out to oddsquad.com. We'll come to your school. Uh, if you want to support us, we're running a golf tournament in May. We're nonprofit. The profit we get is the kids. Let's talk about the shortage of doctors in British Columbia now. This can be super frustrating, especially if you don't have a family doctor. It can have some tragic outcomes, too, if a, an illness is misdiagnosed or, or missed. Uh, we talked about that earlier today on the show. Uh, we also talked about how walk-in clinics in British Columbia, a lot of them have shut down in B.C., the ones that are still open. Sometimes it's tough to see a doctor even at a walk-in clinic. Can't even get into those. we got the stresses and strains on our hospitals here as a result, too. The B.C. government says it is trying to hire new doctors, proving to be difficult. Now, they have launched that ad campaign in the United Kingdom, try to bring British doctors across the pond here to practice in B.C. I'm going to talk about all of this with my guest, Phil Martin, who's standing by here to discuss. Let's have a listen first here to the premier here. This is David Eby describing the shortage here. It's really vital to recognize the challenge we face across Canada around healthcare, which is a shortage of the critical personnel we need, the nurses, the doctors, the health sciences professionals, uh, the uh, uh, technologists that assist people with cancer treatment. 
just the people to deliver the care is where we're short. Yeah, yeah, those healthcare professionals, you ran down a long list there. We're, we're short of everybody here. Uh, we certainly need more doctors. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Phil Martin. Phil is the CEO of a physician recruitment company. It's called Physicians for You, and I'm very pleased to welcome him. Phil, thanks a lot for coming on today. Absolute pleasure. Nice to be speaking with you, Mike. Yeah, it's nice to have you on here. Can you tell me a little bit about your company? What do you do there at Physicians for You? Yeah, so we are a physician recruitment service. We globally source physicians from around the world and help them through all the sort of complexities of the Lycia process, both national and provincial. Uh, we work with them with uh, clinics and hospitals to find suitable opportunities and to help them through sort of the Lycia and immigration process. And, and even after they start work, you know, we keep in contact with them and just make sure that they settle and have a solid foundation for that long term success. Okay, that's very interesting. It, it sounds like there is almost like a global competition going on right now for these healthcare professionals. Like, I'm sure Canada is not the only country with a shortage. Like, are these professionals in demand all around the world? Oh, massively. I mean, physicians yeah. are getting calls from Australia, New Zealand, the Middle East, uh, Canada. I mean, every single uh, week they're getting calls from all over the place and everyone's competing with each other. I mean, you're even seeing it in Canada now uh, with the different promises sort of competing. You sort of, you know, BC gave a pay rise to the physicians last year. Alberta have made it easier for, for doctors to get in on a full license. Ontario have removed the exam and the supervision requirement and they still can practice independently. So it's... Uh, it's it's a, a, a lot of competition globally for what is a, a sort of a small amount of physicians really for the need that is is, about, is sort of in place globally. Yeah, well, I can see why they'd be calling a guy like you for, for help here and sorting through all of that. Let's have another listen to David Eby here on this point. And you'll hear him describe here something you just touched on. He said the provinces sort of have a, a deal among themselves that they won't try to steal e steal each other's doctors but then you'll hear him t talk briefly about the United Kingdom here in the end, and I want to get into that too. But let's listen to EB here about provinces saying like, okay, let's not steal each other's doctors here. Let's listen. One of the challenges we've had nationally is provinces competing with each other uh, for these professionals, driving up salaries in a fixed pool of specialists uh, to deliver this care. Uh, and that's not sustainable. An agreement that we reached with the other premiers uh, that we're all uh, doing our best to honor is that we're not going to try to poach people uh, from other provinces across Canada. We're going to try to support each other with training and better coordination. Um, for us, though, uh, we didn't make that commitment to the government of the UK. Okay, <laughs> and then he and then he goes on to talk a little bit about the ad campaign in the UK. Which and Phil, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. But let me ask you first here about. He said that. Uh, the provinces have this deal among each other not to try and steal each other's doctors and stuff. Is that is that true? Is that going on? Or I, I am at, I think maybe some of this stuff is still going on anyway, though, isn't it? Um, I think there's always been a thing where, you know, you don't you don't recruit from within Canada to other places of Canada. You don't want to sort of take one person from a, a dire need into another place with dire need. Um, you know, yeah. you saw a lot of it with South African doctors years ago with ethical recruitment when Nelson Mandela came out and said, you know, stop stealing our doctors because everyone was just finishing their training and literally coming straight to Canada. But I think it's still being done indirectly in Canada because, you know, if you're constantly making the rules easier, I mean, under what's called the CFTA agreement, a, a doctor should be able to easily transfer from one province to another province to get licensed but 
the doctors that we see, even though they're already licensed in one part of Canada, run into so many challenges trying to get licensed in another province. It's still not easy. Uh, and I think because the provinces are changing the rules, they are improving the offers. Um, yes, they may not be advertising for a particular physician from another province, but if you're going to give your doctors a pay rise or make it easier to get in, you know, via various pathways, you know, that is going to encourage doctors to come from not only outside of Canada, but also within Canada. Yeah, that's really interesting. Speaking of Phil Martin, CEO of Physicians for You, Phil is a, a doctor recruiter trying to bring professionals here to Canada, British Columbia. What is British Columbia's reputation here, Phil, in terms of a place um, that is desirable for doctors to work? Do doctors want to come work here? Is it easy oh. to come here and work? Well, I mean, I've, I've been lucky and blessed in my life to live and travel all around the world. And I wouldn't live anywhere else in the world apart from British Columbia. I think this is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Uh, and it certainly is a high area of interest for a lot of our doctors. Uh, the challenge is, is how hard it is to get into the province. Uh, there's just so many hurdles and there's a lot of bureaucracy and politics that really make it so hard for the physicians. I mean, I'm on the, I've got multiple doctors coming into Vancouver at the moment. I mean, at any one time, we have 350 to 400 physicians actively looking for jobs in Canada. And the amount of hurdles and bureaucracy that you come up against, I mean, not to mention any names, but there's you know government entities that almost actively work against what we do, uh, which is such a shame because it's the, the Canadians that are missing out on the healthcare that they need. I mean, we've got a, a world, a, a sort of a first-class province with a third-class healthcare system. Um, it shouldn't be right that so many people do not have access to family physicians and we have got so many looking uh, and we're really open to partnerships you know we'd love to work with the health authorities the different government organizations we do it in other provinces in Canada and it's just such a more fluid process you know we're not here to take away their jobs or, or, or work uh, against them we're, we're here to work alongside them and complement what they do and you know we've got a tried and tested model I've been doing physician recruitment for the last 18 years globally I started off in the UK went over to Australia and I've been doing it in Canada since 2010 and without a doubt, we're one of the hardest countries in the world to get into. I mean, one of my doctors that came to BC, uh, I think a year or two ago, said, honestly, Phil, it's like they're almost trying to keep us out, she said. You know, and, oh. and we have to help them with all the sort of processes and get them through. And it's it's a shame because, you know, they can go elsewhere much easier. I mean, you can go to Australia in six months. And, you know, Australia was very much competing with Canada for quite some time. Back in the day, you could get like half a million dollar golden handshakes to come and commit to a long term role and things like that. It's not as affluent as it was was down there for doctors and I think a lot of people are choosing Canada because it's sort of close to the home for a lot of physicians I mean I used to work in Toronto and phone my mum and dad up when I finished work and it'd only be sort of 10 in the evening back home whereas where you're in Australia it's a bit further away but doctors definitely get frustrated with with the processes and I always think of my job as half as a cheerleader because you're sort of having to encourage uh, and get them through sort of the various steps and as I always say to them you know the hardest paths lead to the best destination so it's all 100% worth it once you're here it's just a shame that a lot of doctors coming to canada their first uh, uh um sort of seeing of canada is just all the problems and bureaucracy and the challenges they just have just trying to get a license so they can get into the country and practice but that's why a lot of people come to us i mean we literally yeah. live and breathe this process i start work at two in the morning i work 15 hours a day seven days a week it's a full-time job 24 7 to guide these physicians through and give them all the assistance and guidance to make sure that they do the process in the right order um and really the goal is to set them up for success with a role the clinic that's right for them um so they can sort of have that continuity of healthcare for the patients the area and things like that so it's a, a a very rewarding job, but it's a very tough job.
Okay, we're talking about the shortage of doctors in British Columbia, the global competition here to attract doctors to BC. My guest is Phil Martin, CEO of Physicians for You. That is a doctor's recruiting company trying to bring doctors here to BC and to Vancouver. And as you heard Phil describe before the break there, he said it's very difficult for doctors to come here and get certified and licensed to practice in British Columbia. I want to dig further into that with him here. Let's have a listen first here to David Eby, the BC Premier here, uh, talking about the advertising campaign that the BC government has launched in the United Kingdom to bring British doctors to BC. Have a listen to this. If the government of the UK uh, is not uh, recognizing what they have in terms of the amazing skilled professionals that are there, they're not compensating them properly, they're not treating them with respect, then they should come to British Columbia. We literally have the word British in our name. Uh, and they'll feel very at home here. We've got double-decker buses in Victoria. Uh, there's so many wonderful opportunities for uh, British doctors to come here uh, and enjoy everything that our province has to offer. Uh, I personally uh, would like to welcome them at the airport and thank them for their contributions to our healthcare system. <laughs> okay, Phil, what do you think of that? We got British in our name here, British Columbia. We got we got double decker busters. You know, come on over. We want the doctors oh, no, to come here and work. What do you think? Home. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think the challenge we have is is that we are third party recruitment is just not as common or as respected a, uh, a a job, I suppose, as it is in other countries. You go to places like the UK, Australia, you know, physician recruitment agencies that are you know private companies are very very well established. There's hospitals, clinics, doctors, governments that will only work through agencies. Where in Canada, you know, I always sort of joke that it's about ten years behind other countries. It's sort of yes, you have provincial government government recruitment agencies, but that is not enough for the work that's needed to be done to get these physicians through the process. And and we would love the opportunity to work with the various health authorities in, in, in BC because the way that we do physician recruitment is based on a UK and Australian recruitment model, which is incredibly successful. Uh, and it's allowed us, to, I mean, we turn doctors away daily that we can't help because we are, what we do works so well in terms of sourcing physicians. We've got an impeccable reputation in the market for the service that we provide. Uh, I mean, I've just got such a fantastic team that I work alongside who know the processes for licensure, know the national processes. We keep abreast of all the changes because Canada's almost like the EU. You know, you've got 10 provinces that all have their own rules and regulations. And if you look at them on paper, they can look very similar. But the reality is they're all very individual. So, you know, whereas you need sponsorship and supervision now in BC coming in as an IMG, even though it's only for three months, you don't now need that in Alberta. So it's actually easier yeah. to go into Alberta now rather than it is in BC. So there's so oh. much work that needs to be done. Um, and we are so open to working with the governments, working with the health authorities and assisting them um, in their physician recruitment needs, because we have got so many doctors looking and so many doctors available that we could literally make such a big difference. Um, and it's just a case of hopefully, you know, having those doors opened in some way. I mean, this is super frustrating to, to listen to and to hear that we've got a government here say they're going flat out to try and bring these doctors into British Columbia. We've got billboards on the underground, the tube stations in London saying, saying to these British doctors, come on over here. We want you. We'll pay you more. And you're t and you're telling me, though, that there's a lot of barriers here to bring them in. I mean, this doesn't make sense, Phil. Well, I, 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 had a, I had a doctor once. Now, th I must be honest, in all fairness, the rules are getting easier. I mean, in the last 14 years, I've been...
doing physician recruitment every year the rules kept changing to actually make it harder i had a uk oh. gp once that was required this is back a few years ago when bc required the physicians to also have certain rotations during their postgraduate training i had a physician once that was missing two of the rotations so he he went back and did 16 weeks of unpaid work to get be able to get licensed in the time that he went and did it the rules changed in bc where the rotations were no longer required and they replaced the ee exam with the QE1 and he just said you know what I'm not doing this anymore you know he he sort of did what was required the rules changed and he just stayed back home so and that's a more of an extreme example but you do see it happen a lot with physicians where they just get asked for so much um, it goes into so much I mean I, I work with the doctors as best I can you know sometimes you'll have a doctor that you know had a hospital he worked at 25 years ago that has now closed down and the people that worked with him have died and the college insists on getting a certificate of standing from that hospital even though it's not possible uh, I think there's a sort of misunderstanding that yes you know documents might be easy to get from some countries like the UK Australia Ireland but when you've got a doctor that maybe did their medical degree or sort of training you know or worked at some point in places like Saudi Arabia or Pakistan and things like that those countries don't have uh, you know the systems that we do to get documentation so getting a document from say 10 20 years ago before you had electronic medical records can be very very tough for physicians so that's where we help though. I mean, we guide our physicians. I've mm. worked with thousands and thousands of doctors over my years of doing this. We work with clinics, hospitals, health authorities and governments all across the country. We certainly have a good understanding of, of how things work. Obviously it's only our opinion and our perspective. I know there's always more to it, um, but we definitely see a lot of physicians struggling to get through it. And and I know from the other side, you know, you've always got to be very careful. You know, I've, there's been situations in England where, I mean, this is a, a, a story from years ago, but there was a doctor that came over from Germany, um, couldn't speak okay. English very well. He did a short locum and actually a patient died uh, because okay. he couldn't speak English. So, again, there's okay, always, Phil, you have to have some lines. Th th Phil, it's been fascinating to speak to you, and I, I want to thank you very much. I think it's been a real eye-opener for, for our listeners here, and hopefully we can... Uh, we can streamline this process because we need these doctors. Thank you for coming on. Oh, absolute pleasure. And I can say to you listeners, we will continue to do all we possibly can to help. We love what Good. we do. We love this country. We want as many people to have the health care that they need. And we're working tirelessly on this side to make it happen. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.